Hey everybody, Evan here. Uh, just before you start listening to this best of 2021 episode, I want to drop in with a little production note. Despite uh, despite doing this for many years and ostensibly knowing what I'm doing, on this episode I, uh, I made a, a little bit of a mistake. Uh, I somehow managed to have my USB microphone that I usually use plugged in, and despite that, record through my built-in laptop microphone, which is a much worse microphone. And to make matters worse, I had David's audio coming out of my computer speakers at the same time because of some some audio shenanigans I was doing. So as a result, uh, I had to spend a lot of time trying to clean up the audio and, and isolate both tracks. And uh, my my track does not sound very good. It's a little tinny, a little bit hard to hear. I did my best to clean it up. Hopefully it is listenable enough for you to uh, be able to listen through. I think the episode was pretty good, hopefully worth it. And uh, David's track sounds fine. And uh, for the record, yeah, I did I did all the editing myself because I didn't even want to bother Pat with having to deal with my screw up on this one. Anyway, that's that. Uh, I do think the the rest of the episode, the actual discussion, turned out pretty good, all things considered. So hope you all enjoy. Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 169. Nice. Oh, he said the nice. number. He said the sex he said number. It. He said it. I'm your host, Evan Minto. And with me, as always, is David Estrella. Super excited to be here to talk about our favorite year of all time, 2021. Best of best things. Best things that happened in 2021. So 20, just, let's, let's, 2020, just let's, let's go. 2020, there, a year so good. They did it twice. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're doing, uh, yeah. we're doing the best of 2021 episode. We are back for our, our annual uh, best of the year episode. Recording, uh, of course, at this point in, in February. So apologies to the listeners. But most importantly, apologies to David, who's uh, very unhappy about <laughs> still talking about last year. I mean, it's better to do it now than to do it in March when I said, like, I I think that we're going to end up doing this in March. And, you know, it's uh, 6th of February when we're recording this. I don't know when it's coming out, but it's been, yeah, I mean, you got it just in enough. Just, you know, yeah, it's just pretty, late enough. It, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a little late. It's a little late. Uh, but as our compromise for just, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to figure out how to get this in to our schedule. Uh, it's just me and David this time. No guest for this best of 2021. So it'll be a little shorter uh, and especially shorter in the manga section because I am I'm opting for out reasons. because I'm now I work for big manga now. Uh, Conflicts of yeah. interest. So. For those of you who are new to this, we will be going through the three main topics of the Gamers podcast and uh, talking about our favorite things from 2021 in each category. So first will be games, then manga, and then anime. I usually put like a time limit on these, but honestly, just try to keep it, you know, not too long because it's it's just us. I don't think we need to have yeah. the timer running for this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a, a revelation, I think, to everybody, us included, when we talk about all the things that sort of missed us as well um a lot of stuff oops, a lot of stuff sorry <laughs> sorry we'll we'll do better at consuming content next year this year think, not yeah. next year this year it's currently 2020 i think i think we gotta like make like a like a virtual pinky promise on on this podcast be like we're gonna come in next year and we're gonna have more more uh, of the year things consumed 
because boy did I still get caught in the same loops of replaying a lot of old games that I've already played a million times. I mean, I, I played, and then we'll talk about this in the game section, I guess. Uh, I played a, a lot of games, old games I had never played before in 2021, yeah. which don't yeah. count for this best of the year. Um, but we talk about them on the podcast the rest of the year, so that's all good. Yeah. So let's get into it. Video games. Uh, I have video game. I have more, so maybe I'll start and then we'll we'll go back and forth on our list. That seems pretty yeah. good. So these, uh, by the way, these are we did write articles. We wrote our staff picks articles on the blog, so you can read the full reviews there. And and pretty much all of these things were were mentioned in there. But I'll I'll have some honorable mentions of things that didn't come up in the staff picks for mine. And David didn't do any staff picks, right? I just I barely remember anything that happened from like November to December. I think I was busy. Yeah. So so all of David's stuff was not covered in the staff pick. So that's all new. So I'll I'll start with uh, with my number three of of my top three for games, which is Loop Hero. We talked about that a little bit on a previous podcast when I first started playing it, and I'm not actually done with it. I mean, I only finished one of these three games. I was, I was reviewing. I was putting them on the list based on <laughs> on getting most of the way through them and and being pretty into them for at least a significant right. way through. So Loop Hero. Well, yeah, to Loop Hero's credit, I actually own it because they gave it away for free on Epic Game Store. Oh yeah, you should time. you should play it. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll add it to the list of all the other free games that Epic Game Store gave me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if I played any of the free games I got from me Epic. either. I have yeah. like over 30 free games on them and I haven't played any of them. Anyway, Loop Hero is, as I mentioned previously, a deck builder kind of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't like dungeon crawler is the right word. It's like a, but it has like some of those kind of elements of collecting loot and stuff. But your your character is walking along a, a, a closed loop in a, a grid uh, map, and it has an element of like tower defense, where you're sort of you're you're placing things on the map, and you don't directly control your character. They just run in a loop, and you can pause and plan out and place stuff, and then let the let the game run, and you can like switch their equipment out and stuff. And so it's not. It's not an action game. It's like a planning game, right? Like a bit of a strategy game. Kind of an interesting genre mashup. I'm sh- I imagine there might be other games that were like this before that I'm failing to compare it to. I think the other thing it's kind of similar to is um, like, what's the word for those? Like those mobile games that you where you don't really do very much. You're just like optimizing for like an auto clicker or something. It's almost kind of like Cookie that. clicker? Yeah, yeah. It's like one of those, yeah, it's one of those things that you, you just let it run in the background and you walk away for an hour. In theory, but I, I'm always managing it because there's always stuff where you can be like, oh, oh, there's a, you know, so you can place these things that cause monsters to spawn, which is like risk reward, right? So you, your character might take more damage and be more likely to die, but you'll get more loot and more experience points and stuff. So there's still a lot of management. I can never really leave it running or my character will die pretty quick. You got to be like watching it to make sure you know when to place stuff and then when to get out. So you're kind of like either trying to get to the end and beat the the final boss of the loop or you are trying to kind of decide when to cut and run and be like all right now i'm gonna i'm gonna retreat now and like cut my losses and take what i've got and then restart a new loop uh, so it's got that like roguelike kind of thing going on so if somebody makes like a super optimal loop can they can they actually just walk away and like make a cup of tea maybe for a little bit but the but every time your character kind of uh uh passes go so to speak the like new enemies will spawn and they'll, they'll level up and stuff. Mm. So the game is like getting harder. And while that's happening, you're getting new items. And so it is 
imperative that you use the stuff you get to like keep up with the the enemies getting stronger right mm -hmm. it's cool it's it's it kind of scratches a bit of like an ftl itch in terms of that that kind of like strategic strategic management thing um and that same kind of i'm a big into roguelikes and that that loop of of constantly getting more like passive upgrades and things that you stack and just like watching all those little numbers go up so that you have a higher and higher chance of getting through to the end every time yeah and really cool pixel art and very kind of atmospheric, like the music and the pixel art. Uh, I'm, I'm into it. I haven't finished it yet. I got maybe a little more than halfway through the like the upgrade tree. And I'm not sure how many, how many more like, you know, you can unlock more classes and I think more like kind of adventures with different different rule sets and stuff. But I haven't gotten through all of that yet. Uh, I think it's it's really cool. It's I can see why it was, was pretty popular in 2021. Yeah, it's like it's incredible for me to hear all this stuff where you're just describing an RPG, knowing that like you're not an RPG guy. So well, maybe the anti. next step is I'm not an anti RPG gonna... guy. <laughs> yeah, like but RPGs. like you don't like meat and potatoes RPG. You don't. Uh, like, that, I think, well, I think that's you need a little. I think you need a little sauce on your RPG if you're gonna if you're gonna play one. I gotta defend myself. You're talking about JRPGs, right? Yeah. Because I have played a lot of Western RPGs. <laughs> Oh, those are different. Like Mass Effect is basically a like a cover pop up Manshoot, so yeah, but really I, count it I mean, too I've much. Played just because it Elder has like Scrolls, The Witcher, um, Fallout. I mean, Fallout. some of those have other other things going on in them, but they're Western RPGs. Mm, I guess I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll begrudgingly accept them. <laughs> and I would like to play more JRPGs. That's been a goal of mine for a while. I just haven't kind of picked one and sat down with it. Um, I gave you like five options. I know you and Pat. Maybe keep mm. giving. I mean, I keep asking you and Pat which Final Fantasy game should I play, and then you keep answering me, and then I don't play it. My answer changes like every time you ask me to, so it's like I have to be in the mood for a certain game. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of the the last fantasy, the last one. That's the la they're not making any more. It's, it's over. It's done. They really shouldn't make any more. Like that should be the the end. Final Fantasy four. Final Fantasy fourteen should be just like the end. Uh, then they made 15 and now they're making 16, but they're making 16 with the 14 guy. So yeah, I want to talk about Final Fantasy 14 a little bit, even though that game came out um, in like 2012, 2011. I don't remember. <laughs> no, nah, I think it's like eight years, actually. Um, yeah, so I mean, this was the first serious year where I got really into it. And I suppose every every like every now and then there's like a big rehaul of things because one they're really interested in getting new people to play two it's been going on for a little while so like you can't just cater to the absolute tip of people who are like current on things so I decided to be uh, a guinea pig for uh, Square Enix you know let myself run around in their maze of very uh basic yeah meat and potatoes rpg like dungeons and like fighting giant rats and you know large bats and, and things like that um i just want to yeah you know what let me just pretty, cut in to say solid. that that it is only the first of two guinea pig references that will occur on this podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you know what like as i even though I'll say like Final Fantasy XIV is a game that I have like a lot of issues with, also when it does something really well, it does something especially well, and it's uh, in like I suppose in like the zone of it occupying this space where it's like you can act independently, but also you have to like rely on complete randos as well. You have to. There's a lot. There's a lot to learn. Um, 
the execution isn't particularly hard. It's just a matter of uh, get, getting the player to be properly inspired to, you know, do tank stuff, to do healing, to do DPS and all that. Um, a lot, you know, Final Fantasy XIV excels in just making a lot of things that I would sort of just hear about and dismiss outright, where I just say like, oh, I don't, I'm not into this. Just give me like a basic like Dragon Quest or something. Let me just not deal with other people. Let me not deal with like cooldowns and timing things and spending lots and lots of hours just advancing the quest, not even really doing anything particularly important. So yeah, Final Fantasy XIV. I told Evan like I thought this was gonna be this is gonna be like my my uh. Uh, my personal one piece where I'm just going to elect it to best of due to the fact that it's doing something different every year. Like I kind of wish I could just vote things in that have been going on for a while, but every year it's just, it's either more like it's just better one year. And then like, you know, some other years it's like, okay, this is an off year. This is a year where they, I don't know, there was like a big, uh, big like changes at the company, you know, getting bought out by Aniplex or Sony or whoever. You know, we, like, I, I do allow that in the staff picks. You're allowed to kind of put games as a service that, you know, as long as you're putting them. Well, I mean, I'm going to put, I'm not going to put Fate Grand Order. I'm not putting Fate Grand Order in the list. <laughs> Fate Grand Order is never going in the best of list ever. What, wait, so why is that? Because you don't want to put it in? Yeah, I don't want to put it in. Nobody should play that game. Okay. Well, what I'm saying is that we, we do actually have, like, you know, because we have rules about what we consider, like, you know, is eligible for the staff picks. And yeah, like, an ongoing game, you can put it. You can put it in the staff picks as, and it's just what we're kind of reviewing is the stuff that came out that mm-hmm. year, right? Whatever up updates or or yeah, whatever the new content was that year. Maybe maybe I'll start playing Terraria. I'll put Terraria in for twenty twenty two. Yeah, or or you can start playing No Man's Sky. <laughs> How do you feel about No Man's Sky in the year of twenty twenty one? I didn't play it very much because it's just it's always had the same problem of like they've. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll talk about it here, but it's not it's not on my best. It was up a big list. patch, wasn't there? There was. I mean, they they it's they're like a fail son that I'm very proud of. That they're they're keep they keep trying. You know, it's just like I mean, it's really cool that they've put so much support into that game. But every time I play it, it's just like they still haven't actually addressed the parts that made it tedious. And it's like they've it's just such a shame because they put so much great work mm. into making that game better. And it is better in a lot of ways. Like there's a lot of stuff that's a lot more kind of robust there. But the actual game loop is still just really, really boring. <laughs> no, so it's not like a loop hero. It's more like a loop peasant. Yeah, it's it's a it's a shame. But like props to that that dev team for for uh, hello games the developer they do deserve like a lot of props for taking a game that was so hated on launch and just sticking with it and just you know that's what final fantasy 14 did right like it had had a really bad response and they they stuck with it very few things have uh imploded on arrival like final fantasy 14 and then majestically rose to where it is right now I think that's uh, that is a really admirable thing, and those are like the two biggest examples I can think of of games where the developers really just held on and, and had faith in the thing. And you know, mm. I, I don't think it super worked for for No Man's Sky, but it is an admirable thing to do. It's not a it's not a ten dollar game anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a yeah. lot there are a lot more people who like it now than when it came out. Like <laughs> maybe not totally for me, but yeah, I remember like that first year they couldn't even really give it away. Yeah, I mean they were getting. <laughs> They were getting so many uh, returns and stuff on Steam, right? They were like, yeah. sort of makes you th- like wonder if that'll happen to Cyberpunk. Nah, uh, yeah, it's not happen. I don't know though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it helps with with uh, Final Fantasy fourteen and with No Man's Sky that they are a little redo. Sort of. I mean, FF fourteen is obviously like it, it is an MMO. 
No Man's Sky took a little bit to be any kind of MMO, but that that helps, right? It made it into more mm. of like a community thing as opposed to just like a single player game getting patched. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I will talk about my next game on the list, which is It Takes Two. Still working my way through this, actually, uh, but it got on the list because it was so good from what I had played that uh, it deserved to be on there. And this is not... Uh, so so I forget if we talked about this on the show at all, but this is a, a game that I cannot just power through on my own because, as the name implies, it is co-op only. It takes two. Yeah. So I've been playing through it uh, with a friend doing like some online play. Uh, and yeah, uh, I feel like maybe we talked about this like off podcast because i can't remember us uh me describing it on the show i think we did i got like i got super hung up on like the idea of two people not in the same room like because you're playing with somebody else online right yeah we're on on uh, yeah i got, I got hung up on the idea where it's like uh there are these two people just sitting there playing this game and like sort of taking in all this stuff about uh some fictional characters divorce in a video game with a lot of platforming yeah, it sounds kind of goofy, yeah. right? <laughs> when uh, yeah. that where, where does all this start to make sense? So, yeah, it is about a divorce. And, it, you know, you play as either the, the husband or the wife. And actually, on each session, you can choose who you play. But interestingly, when I play with my friend, like, we we, we always pick the same characters that we picked at the beginning. Are you the husband or are you the wife? I'm or the wife. Do you not want to share with I'm the, the wife. You're the wife, wife guy. Yeah, I'm playing with a with a male friend, uh, and so you know, whatever. I'm wife the wife. Um, yeah, and so it they basically get it's kind of like a like a Toy Story vibe because they get transformed into these little dolls, and then they're like you know you're running around like a miniature version of their house, and so it's all these different set pieces that are like oh we're in the the shed, we're like inside of the tree in the yard. Right. We're in like uh, they have a daughter. So it's like now you're running around in like her her toy set. But it also has this very surreal angle where you're not actually like this is different from Toy Story. You're not like running around in the actual physical space of their daughter's room. Everything just like eventually turns into like a dreamscape where it's like this whole crazy platforming level that's sort of inspired by the toys in her room. But like physically, it's not it's not her room. It's obviously not. It's like right. too weird and elaborate. No little floating platforms in your in your daughter's room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I mean, all the art direction and stuff is great. But but to answer your question, what makes it work is that as opposed to other co-op games that I've played, and I'm sure there are counterexamples to this, like a lot of those games will be designed to be basically a single player experience with additional co-op options that, that expand it and make it make it more fun, right? Mm. Um, but effectively, like they can be played single player. Maybe it's not optimal, but like they, they work in single player mode, even if the best version of it is co-op, right? And I'm thinking of, I don't know, like uh, like sort of beat-em-up stuff is kind of designed that way, right? Like, like I'm thinking like Castle Crashers or any other game like that. Streets of Rage. Yeah, ultimately, it's supposed to be co-op, but you can play it single player, right? It's just you're beating people up on your own. Uh, it's just sad. It Takes Two is designed so that like virtually nothing is doable without both players. It, it, like the every single puzzle, every level design is constructed to require both of you to coordinate, which is obviously connected to the whole theme, right? Of like, it's about these two uh, working through their relationship and fig I, I don't know where it's going and if they're going to actually stay together or not, but like it is at least presenting the idea that they they need to learn how much they they need each other right and and that they they, they can't kind of go it alone so as an example without going into too much because we, we don't want to take too long in each of these but there are in most levels there's some kind of asymmetrical gameplay going on where each of the characters gets assigned some kind of ability so 
The best example is in one level, one character gets a nail. So that's the, the, the wife character, the one I'm playing as has a nail and the husband has a like the head of a hammer. And so I can like put a nail in the ground and he can like, I can kind of shoot it. It's like a projectile. And then he can, he can hit it with the hammer to like hammer it in. But also I can like shoot a nail onto a wall and he can use the other side, like the hook side of the hammer to swing off of the nail, right? And, and I have like a limited number of nails. So basically there are platforming things where I need to stand so I can see the platforms, but like the gap is too big for him to jump. So I need to shoot a nail and then he has to swing on the nail, land on the platform. Then I shoot another nail, then he swings on it, right? And so neither of us could do it on their own. And there's like a million different things like that. Um, where you have to like one person has to toggle the platform and then the other person jumps on it and then you toggle the next platform and they jump on it, right? Uh, and you sometimes are, are switching off, like one person has to unlock something for the other one so they can unlock something for the other one and you're like toggling back and forth. It's very cool. It's it's really, really impressive level design all the way through. And the other thing I love about it is it's like genre bending. So it starts as a platformer, but eventually it becomes a, let's see, at various points, it is a third person shooter a flying game, a fighting game. I recently got to a point where it becomes a top-down dungeon crawler. Somebody enjoyed the works of Yoko Taro, huh? Yeah, co complete. The dungeon crawler is complete with like cooldowns and stuff like that, right? It's like total. Are we gonna? Yeah. Are we gonna get like a cooperative visual novel? I, you know, I haven't seen a visual novel in it yet, but uh, it is, it is really neat because it's. You would think if you're like the platforming stuff, you're like, oh, it's gonna be like a mascot platformer, but it just keeps switching it up. Like with every new level, it's giving you a, a different kind of game, and they're not all directly like inspired by some specific game. It's just kind of playing with genre over the course of the game. Uh, it's it's great. It is very, it sounds like an indie game from the premise, but it is extremely AAA, like in terms of the, the level of kind of production quality put into it and everything. It's, it's a very, feels very high budget. Yeah, EA put it out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's like a, it's a, a AAA game that like, if you describe it, you'd be like, oh yeah, that was like made by one person or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and it's from the same guy who did um, the Prison Break game, A Way Out which is also co-op only. Anyway, that's it. I'm I'm big into it. I think you would actually, you might not like the story angle, David, but I think you would really appreciate <laughs> the level design in it. it. It's really, really smart. It's, uh, I mean, I would almost say reminds me in terms of like this, the same feeling I get about platforming level design from like Super Mario Odyssey, where you're just constantly impressed by the, the level design. Yeah, Odyssey is a game that I've always wanted to go back to and like really dig in because I just did like I just got credits and that was done. I was like just done with it, but it did seem like there was so much more involved around like, you know, what more platforming can I do? All right, next up. This one didn't get a lot of attention, so I want to give attention to it right now. Uh, Melty Blood Type Lumina, specifically because it's a new Melty Blood after the original one had come out like 20, 30 years ago, however long it's been now at this point. Um, people said it would never happen again. People said it couldn't be done. Uh, but eventually, uh, Nasu and the rest of the good folks over at Type Moon got off their ass and finished the part of the Tsukihime visual novel redo that they're uh, putting out on Switch and PlayStation 4, I believe. Uh, and as like a tie-in, like as a nice little treat for fans, um, a new Melty Blood came out like immediately after. Um, it's, yeah, it's a fighting game. It's a fighting game. The uh, the Tsukihime uh, remake did not come out 
in English. It's still stuck in Japanese, and who knows if there are any plans for that to ever come out in English.、Uh, it's definitely tied up in some very expensive rights related quagmire because of the whole, you know, it being owned by Sony and them seeing Ava sized dollar figures、uh, related to Type Moon stuff. So、uh, at least we got Melty Blood. Melty Blood got a worldwide release. And、it got a worldwide release. It had rollback netcode.、Uh, people played it and day one, everybody was mad that it had this really annoying auto combo feature where if you just mash any button, it will pop an auto combo, which gets in the way if you have like,、uh, if you don't have like a super refined、um, like button pressing method to like just get a move out. Like sometimes you'll try to do a move and then you'll automatically fly into the auto combo. Uh, technical issues aside, I don't really care too much because it's just it's,、uh, an acknowledgement that Tsukihime is still alive and the Melty Blood is still alive and that they're still going to work on it. And there are DLC characters coming out. So it keeps hope alive, I think. I think that's the most important thing. This is why I want to you know, put it in my best of 2021 because it gave me an ounce of hope in such a dire time. I,、uh, I do remember seeing, I guess, a DLC character announcement or something. And I, don't, I know nothing about Tsukihime other than、mm. the vampire or something.、It's、do you know the funny cat? Yeah, I know there's a funny cat version of the vampire lady.、Uh, no, but I just、uh, <laughs> I remember seeing they announced, like, oh, there's this new character and everyone's freaking out. And it was like, it's just a girl in a t shirt. Yeah. And、yeah. it's very funny, the Tsukihime <laughs> character designs, because they're like, I looked at them and they're, they're all just like regular looking people. It's like girl、yeah. in t shirt, guy in school uniform, girl in turtleneck. These characters, these characters were designed at like <laughs> the, at the end of the 90s. The end of the 90s by like a guy who、uh, I think was doing like two or three jobs on top of、uh, supporting Nasu with a.、Uh, With like the whole visual novel idea. Was one of his jobs like working at Uniqlo? Because that is what the characters. Was Uniqlo around there? <laughs> Maybe not in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not in the 90s, but certainly now,、uh, if you went into a Uniqlo, you could walk out with any number of cosplays related to the Tsukihime era characters. It is really easy cosplay fodder. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm happy for you or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Last one from me is a game that David still needs to play、uh, once we can meet up and I can give him my cartridge, which is Metroid Dread. This is my favorite game of 2021. You didn't sound like you were going to love it、uh, when you were first playing it. Well, no, I think I actually had the inverse where I really, really loved it. And then I was feeling not so great about it near the end. And then it won me over again by the end. Yeah, I've been hearing, like, I've been hearing generally, like, super positive stuff, but it's like everybody has. I don't, want to, I don't want to say everybody, but like a good number of people had like a really bad experience, like for the first four or so hours trying to like get used to some, I think like some gameplay features that are in there. And then by the end of it, they're like, oh yeah, no, this one rules. And then some like a very small minority like loved it from the start and almost to the finish and then just felt like, yeah, the ending's not too great. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the big pieces of discourse around it was, is it too hard? And I'm here as the everything is too hard guy. To tell you, <laughs> I actually did not think Metroid Dread was too hard. For,、uh, not for most of it. You yeah. Did. You did cut your teeth on Metroid Fusion before, though. I know. That's, that's the thing. Is、yeah. <laughs> Fusion is so much harder than Dread. And, and we, we talked about this when we reviewed Fusion, but like 
Fusion is just, it's particularly, it has these little things about the boss fights and stuff that are really unfair. And uh, a lot of that is not present in Dread. Like they, the big thing Dread does is it's really generous about checkpoints and about uh, health pickups in boss fights, which is like one of the things Fusion does really badly. So even when the bosses are hard, I found like the, the game sort of smoothed out the runway of that process of just like dying and trying again, whereas Fusion is like punching you in the face every time you die. <laughs> Mm. Uh, yeah, so I, I found, I mean, it's hard, but it, but the, like, I don't really have so much of a problem with it being hard as much as I have a problem with it punishing you too much for failing, right? Like, I like yeah, a see, game this is... that's hard, but it's easy to kind of loop back and try again. This is this is why this is why I thought that you'd actually do pretty good in Dark Souls because if you can handle the uh, like the instant kill uh, robot that you have to like successfully parry every time, um, I think you'd hang you'd hang in there pretty well in Dark Souls if you uh, if you adjust to it. Yeah, well, that, that's a subject for another day. I'm not a big fan of Dark Souls. Part <laughs> of it is the the controls, right? So. That's, that is something I think is fantastic in Dread. It is an evolution of the fusion controls, which we talked about in our review, were better than the Super Metroid ones, right? It's like a lot smoother. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Dread better. is way smoother. You have way more movement options. Uh, you have like a, uh, you have options for kind of like dashing and countering and stuff. And it's just like, it feels like a dream running around that world. Like uh, honestly, like by the end of the game, I was just enjoying traversing and like shooting enemies and stuff, right? Even if I didn't have anything particular to be doing in any of the rooms. That's a sign of like good design, isn't it? When you just enjoy doing the thing that it's asking you to do for like hours at a time. Yeah. And, and I guess I didn't mention, but this is a 2D game, 2D Metroid. It 3D rendered, but 2D in the sense of being there's no, uh, you don't traverse the Z axis. You only traverse X, Y. Uh, so it's the successor that's the direct sequel to to Metroid Fusion. Um, yeah, the I mean, it looks great. I know you had some misgivings about the 3D. Once you play it, I think you will start to see what I mean, that like mm. the 3D environments are very well, they're, they're, there's a lot of detail to them and they feel very different, like each area. And there's all this great stuff just happening in the background where you're like, you're in an area with all these like giant plants and you'll go by and like a plant will just like move around in the background or something or it'll something will scurry out of sight like way, way back behind you. There's all this yeah. kind of stuff like that or little corridors in these these like, you know, stations where you, you see something in the background, right? Like it's this kind of environmental storytelling that's really neat, even if you can't like go there, right? But it's it's very, very cool. It's a good use of the 3D and like the kind of parallax effect that you get from that. Yeah, I've been having, I've been having that experience where it's like, I didn't think that the 3D was gonna look very good in Pokemon Legends uh, until I actually saw it in motion. Like I just actually put it on my on my screen and I thought to myself like, no, actually it does make a lot of sense now. Like just seeing screenshots of it doesn't uh, give you the whole picture, I think. Yeah, so like, I don't know, just in general for Metroid Dread, what I would say, and, and this is like, this is more praise than I think people expected for this for this game just because you know you got to compete with like super metroid one of the the best games of all time but it it really does feel like Met metroid dread kind of combines the best of super metroid and, and fusion uh, and it brings a couple things i didn't like from fusion along for the ride so that that knocks it some points for me a lot of it looks like there's a lot of story yeah there's a little too much story but there's i i didn't mention there's the stealth sequences with emmy which is kind of an evolution the emmy robots that's like an evolution of the 
the stuff with the SAX infusion. I think it's better and more interesting. Um, yeah, but it, it has like the openness of Super Metroid and the the smoother controls and better better feeling combat of Fusion. It's huge. The map is like massive and there's tons of, you know, shine spark puzzles and things to figure out. I 100 percent of the game. So that's a good sign. <laughs> People will still probably finish it in like an hour. Yeah, possibly. If they're good enough. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm not ready to say it's better than Super Metroid because there is some really brilliant stuff that Super Metroid does that Dread is, you know, Dread's a little more linear at the beginning than Super, whereas I love that Super just starts off totally non-linear. But uh, it's probably my second favorite 2D Metroid after Super. So highly, highly recommend it. Anything else in games, Evan? Uh, I wanted to do an honorable mention. It didn't make my my final staff picks list, but uh, and I'm also not done with this because I've had some crashing issues on my computer. But uh, I did play some of the game Before Your Eyes, which is a neat indie game with like a very interesting uh, control concept to it. Uh, the the name kind of implies this, but you control it by. Uh, I'll tell you what it's about in a second. But you can the the controls are that you you can move your view around with the mouse, standard right on a PC game, but it also has the webcam on and does blink detection. And that serves as effectively your like A button or whatever, right? Your just kind of confirmation button. And what you're doing is you are witnessing a character's life through their eyes. I think you're supposed to be the character. You're like reliving your own life. And uh, it's it's like a set in the real world. You're kind of living through your childhood and your relationship with your mother and whatever. And it, it gets gets pretty heavy as it goes. And it's about kind of personal fulfillment and family and and you know very narrative game stuff uh you're not making any choices that change or you're making very few choices that change the outcome it's a couple little little things here and there but the big thing is that it will show you a scene in first person and a character will be talking and then at a certain point once you've seen whatever the required amount of of stuff in that scene is it'll show you an icon and at that point if you blink it moves to the next scene and so you are now, like, if you want to see what's going on, the character might be mid-sentence, right? You need to keep your eyes open <laughs> and stop yourself from blinking. Wow, it's like hook time events for your eyelids. It is. And uh, I, I found it did a really interesting psychological thing where it, it actually, because you're, you're fighting against your own physical reflex to blink, it, it actually ha it has a, like a really strong parallel with fighting against the flow of time, right? And like wanting to hold on to a memory and that kind of thing. Uh, and so when you blink, you're like, ah, shit, shit. Like, you know, I missed it. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it, it worked very well. Like it, it was like a mechanical thing that got me more invested in the story than I would have been if I were just watching it. <laughs> So that's really impressive. Again, just from a like, game design perspective, that's really brilliant. I, I haven't seen something like that in a while. So that's it for games. Unless games. you got anything else, David, any honorable mentions? No, I guess, uh, well, you know, I, I said like, I think I said earlier, like 2021 was sort of an off year. Um, there was a Pokemon game that came out at the end of the year, but it's sort of a controversial entry in their line of remakes. Uh, because they handed it off to another dev and a lot of people got super mad with a lot of things. Uh, part of it being the art style, the other being that they adapted the uh, they adapted Diamond and Pearl and not Platinum, which is a little bit more fleshed out. And it does look like the Platinum content is going to be like DLC or something extra along the line. Just a lot of weird decisions uh, that people weren't happy about. And I kind of jumped off of my pre-order until like you know, I waited for the dust to clear. 
I'll probably give it a look in 2022. But hey, 2022 is already super stacked. It's already my year. Um, Legends Arceus is coming out like a month apart from Elden Ring. So if 2021 seemed like, you know, not a whole lot going on, uh, I already think I have like my my best ofs like before March. Yeah, we had the year of Luigi. 2022, the year of David, baby. The year of me. year of me talking about all the things that I love again. Well, we also have the category of David. It's time to talk about manga. Category of me. Yeah, because now now I'm just like the designated manga person. Um, you work for Big Manga. You can't talk about manga anymore. So it's sort of just up to me for now. I don't know if like you want to open your mouth and pipe in from time to time because I want to talk about... Akira Toriyama's manga theater, which I think is now out in English for the first time ever. This is like this is one of like those nice things about manga, manga growing as like a you know as a as a thing that people can buy and read in the United States. Um, sometimes they bring back the uh, sometimes they'll bring back something that like came out twenty or thirty years ago uh, for the first time ever, uh, and you'll get the experience of reading it for the first time. Like this will be stuff that people already knew about, you know, whether it's like scans or just reading uh, imported copies from like the original Japanese Tonko Bonds. Uh, this is, um, this was this was very insightful, I think, manga theater, because this is like uh, Akira Toriyama's one shots, uh, kind of like around the time that he was becoming famous. This is around Dr. Slump, basically? Yeah, like around like the Dr. Slump um, Dragon Ball period. Uh, There's one, there's actually one, uh, there's one comic in there that is like basically prototype Dragon Ball, which I thought was really cool. A lot of stuff in there is just like the guy sort of formulating his ideas, like what he really wants to do in manga. Like the first couple of, uh, of one shots that he did, like... He'll have like he'll have like really funny commentary at the end. We'll just like uh, describe what was going on in his life during like the creation of of you know the uh, comic. It was like he's like struggling. He's like not really sure if manga is gonna be his thing. And it's super funny because this is Toriyama, right? This is gonna be like the big manga guy uh, going on into like the next few decades. Um, so it's like, it's like, I don't know how, how to describe it. It's like bittersweet, I suppose, where it's like, yeah. And like, you're having a hard time right now, but just wait, just keep on, keep on going with it. And you do see like some big leaps in improvement, not just like in the art. Cause I felt like his art style was already starting to like, he was coming along real far. Like it came far along by the time he was getting published in Shonen Jump, but his, it's his storytelling. That was the most surprising thing to me, as you see, because I think it's, um, I think all the comics are put together in chronological order and like the time that they're coming out. So I think it goes from like 70s to sometime in the 90s. I think he was already working on Dragon Ball Z by that point. Um, once you get to like the comics that are coming out, like around like the Dragon Ball Z, like kind of like took like a little break to do some other stuff. You can kind of see that like he's not super into it as well because I think he's probably thinking about other stuff at that point, like how to spend like, you know, his millions of dollars at this point on like, you know, new cars and things like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it's like, um, I'm not, I'm not always like super into historic works where it's like, it's more about education as opposed to like, you know, enjoying it for the sake of enjoying it. But it's like manga theater, I thought was like a little bit of both where it's like, it's important to get the history, 
right? And it's also like some of the comics in there are just like they're just really good. They're like they're really good standalone. Like you can't really do anything else with them at this point, but it's good to see them now. Yeah, I should uh, I should check that out. Is that out in print? Is it on the Shonen yeah. Jump app? Uh, I think it's out in just print. I don't know if it's on on Viz's app. Yeah, that's out my alley. I like Toriyama and I like short story collections. So yeah. Uh, what I think is out on the Viz app is Look Back. Mm, from Look our back. boy, our favorite boy. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think like for the two things that I've got on my list as like best of 2021, I think I like I had to like, I had to think to myself and just choose the ones that have left like the biggest impact in that year. I know that there's like a lot of stuff that I read, some stuff that I think counts more for 2020. Uh, some stuff that I read in 2021, which aren't getting published until 2022. So uh, I wanted to talk about Look Back because that is a one shot that came out in like the middle of the year. So it just took everybody by surprise. I don't know if there was like any sort of hype or buildup on it. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's the uh, Chainsaw Man artist doing, doing, uh, like an interestingly, like uh, it seems it seems like really personal because it's about um, sort of like a failure to meet one's own expectations uh, when it comes to art because it's about it's about like um, it's about like a, a a young like soon to be manga artist competing in like this like l- silly little school uh, contest like who who's like the best who who's like making like the best comics and. Like most of the kids are drawing like silly like stick figure comics, and here's one person who's like sort of serious about it, and then there's this like mystery, like mystery artist who's like really far ahead, like you know for a kid's like wow, and part of the book is just that drive to chase after an ideal, and also failing to meet that ideal, and like sort of coming to terms with it, and it's like it goes, it goes, it goes, it's like it gets real. It gets real into like the gross feelings about uh, aspiring to something and not getting there. Uh, and I think like one of the most impactful bits in pretty much all the manga that I've read is this part where um, the main character is walking through this hallway and they're I think they are like about to like meet up with uh, this like the 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 artist that they'd looked up to for a while like the, they're gonna like see them for like the first time in a while and in the hallways it's like stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of sketchbooks and it's like it's just that's all that's there it's like it's like one of those things where it's like here's like the distance between uh, what you thought was hard work and what somebody else thought was uh, hard work. It's like they can't even like really compete in, in, in that sense. It's like somebody like here's somebody who's like on a completely different plane as opposed to what they thought was uh, a lot of work. It's um yeah. Wow. It's a yeah, it's a book, not a book. It's a it's a one shot that goes a lot of places. My podcast confession here somehow. And I think I know why I have not mm. read Look Back yet. Oh, yeah, you should get yeah. on that. <laughs> I mean, the reason why is because I know it's good. And then my brain kicks in and goes, oh, you're not ready yet. You got to you gotta read some shit first. And then you have to go, then you have you have to go read, read Fire Look Punch Back. first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. You have to go finish Fire <laughs> Even though Punch I've already first. read Chainsaw Man Part 1. Like, I'm all caught up on Chainsaw Man. But uh, I know I'm going to like it. That's I think I've, I've put it off because it's like, it's too good. But I just need to sit down and, and read it. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's cool. It's cool that we got this. Um, 
like sort of in between uh like big works i think like after like if after you've made something like chainsaw man i think the expectation is just like oh another series instead of like i'm just gonna do this like one cool story like this one time all right that's manga that uh, David's recommendation might be just the thing to push me over the the ledge there to actually yeah just to, just yeah just as long as I can get one more person to read it even if it is uh, just Evan who it would probably have read it at some point anyway uh, who knows <laughs> <laughs> oh I it's not on Azuki so I need to <laughs> to get myself to read on somewhere else okay so anime uh let's see what do we got we got i'll i'll start i'll start because we were just on some a lot of david stuff i've talked about this i think multiple times on the show so i won't take too long on it the hey case story one of my favorites of 2021 it is the first time that i really really liked a naoko yamada work uh i did like liz and the bluebird but i had some kind of caveats and things the hey case story is the first time i was like all in on something from her uh it's it's the that director naoko yamada as well as uh working with Science Saru, Asaki Yuasa, and Young Choi's studio. And it's an adaptation of the Heike story, or the Heike, uh, the Heike Monogatari, the tale of the Heike. The, uh, the epic, I think, is the best way to describe it. It's not a novel. It's like an epic that was kind of retold uh, based on real historical events. And it is very, I mean, in English literature terms, I think people would describe it as Shakespearean. It's got a lot of like intrigue and uh, and kind of warring families and, and melodrama and stuff. Uh, it's, it's definitely kind of in that vein. And uh, yeah, it's, it's told with a very Naoko Yamada, like kind of intimate touch. It, it's very, very in tune with the emotions of the character beyond just the, the the kind of broad strokes of the, the war going on. And uh, yeah, I was very surprised by how invested I got at the end because it's very dense. And at first I was having trouble tracking it. But by the end, I was I was all in and, and honestly was uh, was tearing up at the end. It, it does a really good job. <laughs> Highly recommend it. And I, I encourage people to stick with it a little bit, which I usually am against that. But I think if you find it kind of interesting, but are finding it like a little too challenging at first, I would encourage you to stick with it and like maybe look up the the original story a little bit to kind of get your bearings. Uh, that, that helped me a lot to kind of figure out what was going on and kind of where I should be putting my attention in the story at the beginning. Mm. I think it's harder for Western audiences than for, for Japanese audiences who are likely more familiar with the original story that it's based yeah. on. Our reading, our reading lists are pretty different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, how about you, David? Uh, first 12 episodes of Stone Ocean, which is like, it's weird. It's weird for me to say because I also don't like to do the thing where uh, I talk about something before it's fully wrapped up. Um, but Stone Ocean is in the Netflix jail, so I don't know when that's going to wrap up. Netflix jail, you yeah. say? Yeah jail yeah well stone ocean is about a jail and it's uh the streaming is stuck inside of a jail so i, I suppose it's very appropriate isn't it just multiple levels of um being i suppose isolated right in dire circumstances uh and just a lot of weird shit going on <laughs> I also, I recently finished this. I know we talked about it on the on the podcast when you watched it. It's mm. so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, I, I, I alternate between, like, what is the most outstanding thing about it? Uh, one, yeah, it's good. It's just, it's plain good. Just plain good JoJo anime. Uh, other, the other thing is, like, it is exceptionally weird, even for JoJo. 
there's a lot of things where um, we have, like, we have at this point, like, a lot of experience with what to expect because I've largely just followed along um, according to the anime releases. I have skipped ahead and read some manga sometimes, but uh, I was always just like going in orders like one, two, three, four, five. Now, finally, we're up to Stone Ocean. So I was like kind of confident that I could see where the powers were going to go, like where the stand abilities were going to go. But by the time that we like, it's just almost like immediately, like with the, the pigeon guy, I was like, oh, wait, fuck. No, I got to throw all of my ideas out the window <laughs> now because I don't know where any of this is going to go. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, the powers are really weird. There is a uh, a frog scene at the end that is one of the most powerful JoJo's scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> not, yeah, it's like it's not its only frog scene too, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like JoJo and frogs and pretty much animals of all all varieties, like... They all get twisted up into like bizarre, horrific scenarios. It's probably like maybe like one of my favorite JoJo characters, uh, Foo Fighters. Oh, like, yeah. Exceptionally good, exceptionally good character. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think like even even like in the setting, because I think like if you are going to do um, like a prison story, there are limitations to what you can do, right? Like, I mean, you're going to be in a prison for a while, which like i like to be, it to be fair like green street dolphin or whatever it's called green green dolphin street prison green dolphin prison um it's uh it, it is uh something else when we're talking about settings in jojo's it's like all the elements are in there for it to be appropriately weird uh it's also in florida which i'm pretty glad that they depicted florida the way that uh i see florida where it's full of stand users yeah full yeah full full of like like uh, swamps and dangerous things inside some of those things are maybe uh <laughs> maybe giant giant like alligator oh, do they have alligators or crocodiles i don't remember alligators alligators yeah i hope i got that right send us an email we need some more engagement send us an email if i got it wrong tell me that it's yeah. actually crocodiles yeah sometimes you have you know it's not the it's not the crocodiles or the alligators that you have to be afraid of sometimes it's just the tractors that's right <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to give away too much because uh, if you haven't seen Stone Ocean yet, but you are interested in watching it. Oh, but I, oh, I, by the way, by the way, there was some Twitter debate about this. Uh, mm. You know, you might be going, "Oh, wow, Stone Ocean sounds so good." I don't want to have to. If you know, if you're the weirdo who's listening to our podcast but hasn't watched JoJo's yet, um, and you're like, "Well, I'm, I can skip to Stone Ocean, right? I don't have to watch the other parts." You do not have to watch the other parts. You can read a summary of them. I'm just telling you that is your loss. You you should yeah. watch all of the <laughs> parts yeah. because they're all good. They're all yeah. worth your time. Well, I mean, you can you can skip like the first half of part three, but I think that, you should good. even watch that. But I agree. Part yeah, the beginning of part three is the weakest, but you still miss some good stuff if you if you skip that. Okay, we gotta. I don't want to take too long on the show here. Uh, we're coming up on an hour. David mentioned being a guinea pig for Final Fantasy yep. earlier. Well, yep. One of the best anime of the year, which we reviewed on this very show, is the guinea pig car show. Pui Pui Mall Car. Everyone cheers. Everyone's freaking yeah. out in the studio audience. Yeah, and then like somebody has to come in with like uh, like some cars, very distressed, being like, "We regret to inform you that Mall Car is selling NFTs." That's true. Yeah, I, I, we've taken it off the list. I forgot about the Mall Car <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, milkshake, milkshake duck, guinea pig. <laughs> Play, play milkshake. <laughs> yeah, we did a whole review of it, so we won't rehash it too much. 
uh, I don't remember what episode number that is, but look in the feed. It's called something, Molkar something, the episode title. But anyway, Molkar stop motion, short, uh, no dialogue, very, very funny and super creative. That was one of the things we were really impressed by was how they kind of like how many different weird ideas they play around with in these little like kids animated shorts. Mm, yeah, to me, it almost felt like the second coming of Kimono Friends. As a non-Kimono Friends fan i'm not going to accept that comparison but if you like kimono friends and that convinces you to watch molkar then accept david's recommendation as you will because you should watch yeah, but, molkar yeah. but much like kimono friends uh kimono friends the the brand is like not really worth anything compared to uh the peak of its creativity so i don't know where molkar is gonna sit right now it was definitely very popular in japan when it was airing which was just on youtube i did like how it was on youtube and then it got seemingly kind of hastily uploaded in a weird way to Netflix, which seemed like some Netflix exec was just like made a call and was like, get me Molkar. I need to get Molkar on Netflix. This thing's blowing up. Yeah. So uh, yeah, highly, highly recommended. It's really short. It's on Netflix now. Uh, it's absolutely worth watching. If you have kids, I feel like kids would actually really love it. That's what it's kind of made for. But it's, it's one of those things that's enjoyable for everybody. So yeah. Highly recommended. Now we just need more merch for it. Speaking of animals and cars. Animals and cars. I'll, I'll go next here. My anime of the year, as is many other people's, is Odd Taxi. Uh, yeah, so Odd Taxi is uh, an on, sort of ensemble urban crime drama mystery about a taxi driver. It's not quite a full-on crime drama or a full-on mystery. It's also got a lot of elements of just sort of being like a character study. You're just learning about all these different characters. And they're all, it's all these characters who are all talking animals in, uh, in Tokyo. And they are interconnected loosely by their connection to this, this taxi driver. And so a lot of the appeal of it is you're kind of watching like, you know, you get introduced to, ah, it's a, uh, this pop idol group. It's a college student who is obsessed with getting internet clout and is like posting on Twitter. It's uh, a, a local low-level thug, you know, is part of the Yakuza, uh, a woman who works at a doctor's office, right? Like all these people seemingly totally unrelated, right? But they, they end up having these like very slight passing connections to each other. And it eventually gets you to, you know, that eventually like leads you to the, the crime drama that ends up being the climax of the series. Uh, the closest comparison, believe it or not, is Paranoia Agent. It is uh, actually very similar to that. And it, it seems kind of weird and off kilter at first. And once you get in the groove of it, uh, it, it's very engrossing and has a fantastic ending. And the animal thing, don't let the animal thing turn you off <laughs> it's, it's good yeah, i guess yeah i guess, I guess for for fans of uh, b stars maybe well sort of but it's not i sort mean of, but not really key thing because b stars is a lot more furry than this b stars it does the the furry we talked about this in our review right like the the kind of where the themes are about like predators and prey and like which i guess furries are gen, tend to be into that kind of theming right uh, that's not what's going on in in Molkar. Really, like it, 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 it not Molkar. They not Molkar. Whoops, odd taxi. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they really everything is just written as if these were human characters. Like it's not it's not really playing with the idea of them being animals. So, uh, but the the designs are great. Like the I'm 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 not a furry. I'm not really like into that stuff. Like separately from just you know if the show's good, I I'm okay with it. And uh, they are really really like unique looking character designs. Um, Highly recommended. Yeah, it's it's my favorite show of the year, easily. David, 
Yo. I think I skipped around here, so I'm gonna because I did yeah, two I of mine. Around. So go ahead with your next one. I wanna I wanna skip around too. So uh, I wanna talk about Demon Slayer Mugen Trade movie. Um, so like half a billion dollars worth of tickets uh i think the whole planet has seen it like anybody with any interest in anime has probably seen this movie not me uh well i mean you have i guess you haven't really gotten onto like the demon slayer train i'm like very casually in the demon I slayer have not train yet bought a ticket for the mugen train <laughs> um i'm like i'm like super casually uh I like I like the I like Demon Slayer to an extent. Like I read some volumes of the manga. I didn't watch any of the anime. I only watched the movie. I'm like as casual as you can get. Um, I think I think it's just pretty solid product. You know, it's like it's a thing that um, where where it can perform very well, it does so. And I think where it performs very well is just in hot blooded shonen uh, manga action stuff. Uh, some of it that's actually kind of clever. Some of the, um, I, th I guess, like some of the setups for for all the fighting and stuff. Mm, I wouldn't say like it reminded me of. Uh, what, what would it remind me of? I think it almost reminds me of some of like the fate anime that UFO Table was doing, which is you know funny because UFO Table uh, did does the Demon Slayer stuff, right? So yeah, I get a little, I, yeah, I guess I get a lot of vibes of like Fate Zero and. Um, I don't remember if UFO Table worked on the um, the uh, the Waver anime. I think they might have. Yeah, that I don't remember. I don't remember either. But yeah, uh, I suppose I get, I suppose I get like that sense uh, from uh, from the action scenes in that, which is like it's it's funny because like the Demon Slayer is a kids thing. Like they made they made Happy Meal toys of Demon Slayer, but they're still getting like served up something that's really good for what it is like they didn't have to like go like so hard on it but yeah good for them good for good for good for the, the demon slayer people working like as hard as they did on it because it does look like a movie that was very uh very like well produced as opposed to like a lot of other anime where it's just kind of like yeah i mean it's it's good enough constraints and all that like i feel like a key question here is if you haven't watched the tv series can mm -hmm. you jump into the movie um yeah, yeah. I didn't watch the TV series. I just read some volumes or, of the manga, so right, it's like or read the manga. If you have no familiarity, if it's your first Demon Slayer, uh, no, I would probably brush up at least on like through like three or four volumes of the manga. At least like be introduced to who the characters are. Like, but I don't think that's like a hard ask. Like, if you do just jump into the movie like alone, um, the only thing I think that you're gonna really appreciate is the animation as opposed to uh, like the character stuff that's going on. But is it, is it one of those like uh, Shonen Jump spinoff movies? I, actually, I don't even know that no, much about no, this. No, no. So this is the thing that this is the thing that surprised me because like it's actually very integral to oh, the story. Oh, got it. Because it's okay. just it's like it's it's yeah it's like a film adaptation of a uh, pretty significant part of the um, of the original storyline. And I didn't find this out until after I finished the movie because finishing the movie leads into some events that made me go like, oh, shit. Um, Got it. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot to mention I also had experience uh, reading the Grand Blue Fantasy Demon Slayer tie-in chapter, <laughs> <laughs> which is as casual as you can get. Because I think 
<laughs> I think that's like my only other experience with the story. And I think that the Grand Blue, uh, no, so the Grand Blue um, collaboration that they did is actually really good to introduce you to Demon Slayer because they like, they introduce every character one by one and sort of like, you know, they, they tell you outright, like, what is their whole deal? What, what did they do? For the Grand Blue people, basically, right? Yeah, it's for the Grand Blue people to like get into Demon Slayer if they aren't already into it. <laughs> we got to wrap up here. So it's time to say farewell to all of anime with David's last pick. Bye, anime. See ya. I was leading you into your last pick, David. Oh, my last pick? Well, I mean, it should be pretty obvious it was going to be Ava. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it was pretty obvious it was going to be Evangelion. Um, you know, as, as often as I make fun of Evangelion, especially for like just turning everybody that like it touches into uh, a brain damaged philosopher. Um, yeah, Ava 3 plus 1 was a really good work of uh, Hideaki Anno sort of confronting a lot a lot of things just putting a putting, putting his foot down and settling the score with a lot of things you know for the last time because there's not going to be any more evangelion animation i hope I we hope buys evangelion will be. and makes any more probably will be but we hope not we'd like to pretend there won't be any more yeah I mean, unless, uh, unless like, I don't know, 20 years from now, Anno has to like put some kids through college or like remodel his bathroom or something like that, you know, then, then we might, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think everybody that's watched Evangelion over, you know, however many years that like, you know, whether you got into it through some bootleg VHS tapes exchanged in via like mail, or if you got into it streaming through Netflix, um, it's a, it's certainly an anime that has asked a lot of, of the people that are into it. And the release schedule for these rebuild movies have also certainly asked a lot of the people to, to like care enough to see it march towards its conclusion. And there's been a lot of problems along the way, right? Like, I don't think uh, Ava, Ava 3.0 was certainly like a production that kind of plotted and finally just slammed into the ground face first uh, when we all saw it. Um, Ava, Ava 3 plus 1 is, it's it's so much more confident. And I think we have Shin Godzilla to thank for that. Yeah, I... I agree. It, it it's a really good capstone on the on the franchise. Uh, we we did do an entire review of this, so please go back and listen to that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I considered this for my list. It's an honorable mention for me. Definitely one of the the better things I watched in twenty twenty one. And yeah, I was I'm not as invested in Ava as I think David is, but I mm. I did really like kind of emotionally where it ends up for for Shinji and Gendo and just kind of everybody gets a, a really good uh, wrap up of their stories that we never got before. Yeah, like who would have, who would have thought like that they would stick as much as a landing as they did? It's very satisfying. It really feels yeah. like all right. This is I can be happy about Evangelion, <laughs> right? Like yeah. yeah. And this is definitely not a movie where it's like you start watching this movie first and then like watch the rest of the series. It's like, no, go go start from the beginning. 
I so that's on my honorable mention. I forgot I have one more for honorable mention that I kind of forgot about when I was putting my staff picks together. But then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, it doesn't make it on the staff picks, but it was very good. And that is the first movie in the uh, the three part Gundam Hathaway series. Uh, Hathaway's Flash was we talked about that. I, I reviewed that on an, an episode. Uh, really, really great. Like a like a James Bond Gundam story sort of thing. Like I talked about in the uh, in the review. Uh, I don't know if I would recommend it to, to Gundam newbies, but it's uh, it's very cool, particularly for the way that it focuses on things outside of just the robots and is about the kind of intrigue of the, the Universal Century Gundam timeline, which I've always found to be the best part of... Uh, it sure sounded like it was like a for fans type of movie. It kind of is. We'll see how the other other there's a little it kind of leans into the robots by the end. So I wonder if it's going to just end up being that later. I'm sure our buddies Tom and Pat know for sure because it's based on some novels. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely liked that a lot. Uh, it's, it's on my would be on my like sort of top five, but didn't make my top three for 2021. And it's on Netflix. So I got to I got to mention, though, there was like a ton of anime that came out uh, last year, like more so than I think should have come out but still like we missed a lot yeah oh there's a lot of stuff i didn't watch i didn't watch like the second season of megalobox a bunch of other things uh also honorable mention to the beginning of wonder egg priority uh i wonder if anything happened after that who knows i guess we'll never know that show is uh, not good by the end the, that is what I'm <laughs> referencing uh so if you hear any good things about it somehow from someone who hasn't yet gotten the news be warned <laughs> Uh, that's it. We hit the end of the anime list. David actually had some anime to talk about. Very, very proud of I just, you. Yeah, I remembered. I remembered. Yeah, I actually had like more more anime than uh, any of the other categories. That's true. Even if like two of them are movies. So you haven't watched Baki Hanma yet. You know, it's on my, I put it together like a list of things that were, I guess I'm assuming were exceptional and like Baki is on there. I've watched the other two series that were on Netflix. So this is like the one that was just missing. I just, I couldn't find a moment to squeeze it in. I also didn't watch it. So I also, Baki is, it's probably the anime of the year. We just haven't watched it yet. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but we're just so confident that's like, it's going to be really good. Like that last, that last series was incredible. Yeah. So, well, what else is on your list before we head out? Uh, nothing else. Nothing else. I'm no I'm on your done. on your list that Baki is on. What is the like? I assume it's the anime oh, here. You know, like a lot of sequels and stuff came out. Uh, one original title that sort of sticks out in my in my mind because people were talking about that on the Discord. The Vivi Fluorite Eyes song, written by the uh, Re Zero guy. It seemed like it was going to be a one off, uh, complete twelve episodes like i think 12 or 13 episode like one off like you know get in there finish your story and and that's it uh which kind of falls in the category of stuff that i want to watch where it's like not open to a sequel just one and done get in there do your thing and wrap it up original too not an adaptation of like a light novel or a manga a lot of things that were sequels as well like did you realize that there was an attack on titan sequel that's like sort of started in 2020 and finished in 2021 what do you mean a sequel you mean like a, a like season another series of like yeah 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 like a continuing series like I'm there's aware. just a lot of stuff where it's like continuing series like re-zero there was a re-zero there was a um the uh, reincarnated as a slime got a, a sec a second series the dragon maid got a second series i'm surprised like, i didn't see more people talking about that one because that one was all over the place when the first series 
it was there was uh, some discourse for better or for worse. Yeah, and of course Baki, right? Baki can't can't forget. So let's do qu- uh, questions before we head out. Yeah, we only had one, or this is like questions and responses because we asked people to send any uh, any lists, you know, or just tell us about their favorites for the year. We got one response from at sign Inazel on Twitter. Stuff that he liked: jobless reincarnation, spider, and slime were all good in the isekai uh, in the isekai, which I guess is yeah in the isekai category. The category of isekai, ne- yeah. Neverland season two was a huge letdown. That's uh, the promise of Neverland. B stars season. Season two continues to rule uh, that I have not watched it. And I kind of we talked about it. We kind of want to watch it. Season one, I do want to watch it. Yeah. Um, we got Moving Train with Rule. David yeah. agrees. Yeah. Cells at Work Black was fun, but didn't get a lot of attention. Then ReZero continued to be good. Maybe I should finish ReZero just to like have something to talk about with people that watch anime. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then uh, he continues, Wonder Egg started so dang good, but didn't stick the landing. Probably my second biggest appointment after Neverland. Disappointment after Neverland 2. Yeah, I agree. Wonder Egg is such a huge disappointment because it was like shoo-in. How? Okay, so now like people keep on talking about it. And like, I'm curious, like how bad could it have been? You should like... watch it. Let me know. What do you think, mm-hmm. David? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll like read it up. Maybe I'll read up like somebody's like big long article about why it sucks ass. We we talked about it on. I'll just briefly tell you. Like we talked about it on the uh, seasonal sampler podcast, like Ink and I did. But it it's not it's not that it like completely. I don't know. It's not like the show just completely goes to shit in terms of. It's not like it's doing a ton of really stupid stuff at the end. It's just that it kind of like starts to have some production issues and maybe some some story stuff that you're starting to raise your eyebrow about. And then it had like a long gap before the last episode. And the last episode is it just ignores all of the stuff it was setting up and goes like, oh, time skip. But anyway, stuff's okay now. Whatever. Bye. (laughs) Just like completely just ignores that there was a story it was setting up for the ending. Very weird. Like it's just 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 blows any kind of uh, enthusiasm that you would have for it at the end. This is yeah. This is this is the sort of thing where like people find it in like five or ten years and then start trying to like convince people like actually this was really advanced for the time. It was really good and smart. Yeah. Um, anyway, that that uh, let's see. I'm gonna read the rest of read the rest of Anazel's thing. Uh, at this point, I just need to make a podcast to talk all about about all this. He says, "I guess I'll just listen to y'all." Um, we do the work. You could also. Work, so we're happy to do the the talking about anime, so you don't have to. But uh, sure, you want to start a podcast? That's cool. Uh, we will uh, Owen Sudo any of our fans starting podcasts. Sorry, Mos. Uh, we'll, we'll be cheering for you. Last thing that he says is, I will say, however, that Kaiju number eight was my favorite new manga. Can't wait till it gets an anime. Hopefully a good studio will get it. So that's another Weekly Shonen Jump title. Or I don't know if it's Weekly Shonen Jump Japan, but it's on. It's released under it's the Shonen this. Jump label in English. Yeah, I haven't read Kaiju number eight yet. I haven't been keeping up with a ton of Shonen Jump stuff, but I know a lot of people are into it. Have you read that yet? Uh, I had the tab open on Viz. So. <laughs> cool. Well, that's it for the responses from listeners, and that's it for our show. That's it. 2021, buried. Rest in pieces, 2021. Onward, onward to a, a potentially really good year, 2022, at least at least for manga, video games, and anime. It's more year, year three of COVID. We haven't really talked about that aspect, but yeah. Uh, yeah, COVID part three, the trilogy. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll hope that we can kind of get out of it before the end of the year. Maybe have some we did some anime cons last year, but hopefully the hopefully we can more safely attend anime cons in 2022 or at least 2023. <laughs> 
Yeah, see you, see you, twenty twenty X. That's right. See you in uh, QX two zero XX. Speaking <laughs> of, before we head out, you can read articles from me on Anime News Network and from both of us in Otaku USA magazine. I do occasional anime burger posts on animeburgertime.tumblr.com. David is streaming video games every Saturday night at Twitch.tv/slash Bean. What are you playing? Shin Megami Tensei 5, also probably one of the best games of 2021 from the amount of Shin Megami Tensei 5 that I've seen. Shoutouts. Shoutouts to all the SMT people out there. That was a, that looks like a pretty good game. We have a Patreon. Support us on patreon.com slash anygamers to get into the priority question list, access bonus articles and podcasts, including our staff picks for all of our non-anime manga game stuff, which is up on there. And also Inaki's new article about the Princess Diana anime. <laughs> from I think 1984. Very interesting stuff. So uh, that's yeah, patreon.com slash anigamers. David is doing some more Anigamers book club content in there, bonus content, as and but the main show is now on the, the main feed. And you can force us to review stuff. I am watching through Planet Test for an upcoming review as requested by a patron. You can check out show notes, blog posts, and a link to the official Anigamers Discord on anigamers.com. Email us questions, responses, and topic suggestions at podcast at anigamers.com. Talk to us on Twitter. I'm at sign Vamsvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. David is at sign QX20XX. And there is at sign anigamers. I'm on Mastodon at Vamsvo at mastodon.social. And finally, episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Leave us reviews on iTunes, please, so more people find the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you, David, for doing a February retrospective podcast for the previous year. Yes, and I did it with a good mood. That's right. Very, it's a good, good humor <laughs> all around. We'll see you in about two see weeks. You. See you in best of 2022. Later. Later.